0: Italian. Okay. Good morning. And, uh, well, I see you're still there. So I, by the way, listened to the uh, Bruin uh, pod, uh, the podcast version of my, of my lecture. I mean, I listened to my voice. Not only I have enough. Okay. I, I don't have any words, even in Italian for my voice, but <laughs> I couldn't understand what I was saying. <laughs> I assume because it's because I don't know English. But then I learned a harsh lesson. I have to speak slowly. And pronouncing, speaking aloud every single sound. Because my pronunciation of English appears not to be particularly understandable. But also, you have been cheating on me. I told you to tell me if I wasn't understandable. And you didn't. I appreciate you were kind. <laughs> Honestly, did you understand what I was saying? Like, okay, Give me a percentage. No, give me a percentage. I mean, my mother doesn't understand. My mother does. But my friends... <laughs> but the mother is the mother. My friends don't understand 100% of what I'm saying in Italian. So don't lie. Well, okay. Cool. <laughs> I'm asking, what a percentage? Is 25? Ah, okay, good. Okay, I won't insist. Thank you. <laughs> well, you know English much better than I do, apparently. Now, today we will... Uh, Start this sort of uh, attempt to make uh, this class a sort of interactive thing, with the help of James, uh, who will summarize. I didn't tell you how long you would take. How long do you think? <laughs> Ten, fifteen, whatever. Okay, the rest I will step in and your colleagues. After James, will try to ask questions, etc. A couple of things I wanted to ask first. I wrote down, which I wrote down. The podcast, I told it. I said it. Who? Roman history. So, who of yours are filled to be completely p- quite familiar with Roman history? Having taken classes or just because of high school? Some here will be probably grad students in Roman history or learned people much more than I am. Some others probably won't. So, how many of yours have found that? this first chapter of the textbook uh, uh, challenging because of the the historical knowledges that it implied could you please raise your hands those who thought i'm uh, not grading it (laughs) okay so how many of yours find the textbook too historical in this part well sounds very good so james um please Yes. And also also will ask uh-huh, I like this very much. I will ask you to to take the microphone so if so, if anybody wants to download the mp3 okay your your voice which is much more understandable than my
1: one. Okay, thank you. Okay, well, um I just basically did a little outline just as I went through it. Um, well, initially uh the chapter began with an introduction to spectacle and um he uh, began with the comments of juvenile that the people want uh, bread and circuses, or or uh, yeah, bread and circuses. And he basically said that um, the bread and circuses it wasn't enough to uh, bring people to subsistence level. So it wasn't like Rome could uh, depend on the bread of the circuses to live. It was more um, sporadic than that, although frequent, not enough to survive. Um, let's see here. Uh, then he went on uh, to discuss basically the, the uh, basic introduction of chariot racing, theater, and uh, the Munus. Would that be how it's pronounced? The munis? Munus? Munus. The Munus, which is the gladiatorial games. And um, real quickly, he mentions that chariot racing uh, was linked to religious celebrations. Um, and he mentions the Yudi Romani uh, in 509 BCE. Um, then he discusses theater and how it is well. Uh, came about to honor the gods post epidemic, in 364 BCE. Um, there was a big epidemic in Rome. They brought in some actors from uh, the Etruscan area, and uh, conservatives in Rome did not like them mainly because of the burlesque uh, nature of some of them, and that there was um, they were very sexual, some of them and whatnot. Uh, there was then he mentions the growth of the games. They grew. Uh, partially because there was more need to honor the gods, because there was problems, and they said, let's fix the problems, so we'll throw a game and honor the gods, uh, and also because people liked them. They were enjoyable, and uh, it won acclaim with the people. Uh, the, mun- the Munus gladiatorial games began as um, in uh, com- Campania with funerals. So someone would die, and they'd honor the death by battling, and the thought uh, was mentioned that the blood going into the grave was kind of a way to identify the living with the dead. And so that's kind of how it started. Uh, Christians initially, like Tertullian, a uh, second century Christian, was against these, did not like the um, bloody nature and senseless violence of them. Um, the Christians yeah. didn't uh, like the theater more than the they, yeah, they, yeah, I was going to get to that. But okay. it, what he mentions as far as the blood, the, their major problem was with the theater because of the, uh, again, probably the sexual freedom that it, that it had up there and, and uh, so secondarily was the, the games they didn't like. Um, so then the author goes into a section uh, on the cursus honorum is that how it would be pronounced? Cursus honorum. Uh, discussing how these games and spectacles were used to help uh, nobles get ahead in their career, move up the ladder and he lays out the four different ranks, the uh, uh, questers uh, adelis Praetors and the Consoles and basically um, walks through how using the games to gain popular uh, popularity among the people it was very important if you were going to j- make the jump from um, an Adelie to a uh, Praetor uh, so you'd borrow, big borrow and steal to pay for these uh, various games to get people on your side and then once you become um, the, I believe it's Praetor uh, you can basically make your money back by governing an area and kind of skimming off the top. Um, a it, yeah, after becoming a trader, you could, you could then pay back the debts that that um, you've incurred by trying to throw do you money. Mind they, please, no, I, I back didn't, back didn't expect all this. So. Just, uh, <laughs> 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 no, also,
0: also, do you mind if they ask questions while you are please saying, please okay, so let's do it because we have to decide it. Some don't want to be interrupted like, you know, breaking me off. I'm totally okay. What I want to try is very, very, is very simple because af- how do you would you make your money back when you would become a predator? A predator is a person who's taking care of the city, basically. After that, after you reach this step, this step of your career. Um, of the ladder of, of, of the of the cursus honorum uh, you would after becoming a praetor the year late one year later, the year after you would be sent to govern a province. You know that Ro- Rome, even before becoming an em- an empire in the sense of uh, having an emperor, became an empire in the sense of conquering other lands. How would you govern the lands abroad, the provinces? Like Sicily was the first province. Here I am, and then, uh, so we have this sad history, we, we Sicilians, of uh, being the first of the conquered territories of Rome. The Rome didn't think to include, to annex in their territories, but decided, let's just rule over them as a province. And then after that, our history was a history of domination of some no less than 10 to 12 different civilizations. And uh, here is the result. you know, Not a very... <laughs> nationalistic and proud person in general, but I think that we've been enriched by this historical diversity very much. But this is much more than we were bargaining for. What I'm saying is that after becoming a praetor, you would be sent to to govern one of those provinces. This is a a system how the Roman Republic would cope with the fact that they had had provinces to govern and no emperor to uh, to to name the governors, those who were high magistrates in Rome, praetors and consuls, after one year of uh, charge in Rome, would be sent off to a province. Now, this system came into a big crisis, as we know, with the so-called Roman Republic, Roman Revolution, meaning with Augustus, when the Republic turns into an empire. And basically, the emperor takes over the control of the provinces. But pretty much, the Roman career was a matter of economic, o- economics, of fund rising, unless the modern politics, which is completely different. Um, the fund rising at that time was made basically borrowing money and then exploiting the populations abroad, pretty much. So this is what's happening. You know, I stepped into in, into into the most unusual thing that I could ever see. I, mean, I mean, this is not really very interesting, but there are many points that you've been saying that are worth really further discussion. But first, I would like you to ask the questions about the things that interest you
1: more, most or the things that you understand. Okay. Thank you Thank very much. Cool. Okay. So to continue um, from there... Uh, the author uh, goes into Julius Caesar's uh, life as almost a case study of this kind of uh, moving up the ladder in Rome, uh, and it describes how uh, Caesar uh, waited 20 years to throw his father's munus. Uh, you could, th- though, the gladiatorial games were based on a funeral. Uh, savvy politicians would wait uh, to actually have the games uh, during a more, maybe a more um, effective time for their political means, and so Caesar is a good case study of that. Uh, again, he borrowed uh, large amounts of money to put on these extravagant games, the likes of which uh, basically every Roman uh, uh, nobleman was trying to outdo the next one with the game. So, if you had you know twenty horses, they'd have fifty horses, and so on and so forth. And uh, Caesar actually proposed a celebration so large, spectacle so large that the senator said, well, we can't do that because we don't want another uh, gladiatorial revolts like we had um, with Spartacus. Uh, and it was probably more of a political reasoning why they didn't want that many gladi- gladiators in one place because it would just make Caesar look too good. And uh, after he made his way up the ladder and uh, was given um, uh, governorship uh, uh, over a territory, I believe Spain was it, he made his money back and then some, paid all his people back to he owed. And, uh, and obviously with Caesar's... Uh, triumphs after a, is that after, after a success, he'd throw a triumph and uh, just again, these lavish displays, giving money and, and I mean, giving um, uh, bread and whatnot to the people. We move to Augustus as the sole ruler of the Roman Empire. Uh, this is, out, of course, after um, the uh, Civil War between him, Mark Anthony. And uh, after he, Augustus, one of the things he did is he took over the, all the food distribution, he took it over himself. Uh, he took over the building campaigns and went, you know, he says that he um, he came to Rome and it was, what does he say? He came to Rome and it was uh, wood and he left it marble or steel? Left it, m- something like that. Bricks. bricks, that's it. Bricks and left it marble. So he, he did some huge building and including a permanent um, areas for uh, spectacles to take place. Uh, one of the reasons, of course, why he wanted to take over the majority of all these uh, positions was again for the honor of the people, a connection with the people um, so moving through the uh, Julio Claudian dynasty, Tiberius, not a big guy for the games, he was more of a recluse as the uh, classical historians see him uh, didn 't really didn 't throw one uh, event himself, so others stepped in looking for to make money and for probably political gain, stepped in to throw these games and uh, there was one incident where um, trying to cut some corners, one of the noblemen throwing the uh, games built shoddy uh, stadium or, or stands, grandstands, and that collapsed and killed a bunch of people. And so uh, just kind of a, a demonstration of the scrambling for power when Tiberius didn't want anything to do with the Games himself. Um, following him, uh, Caligula uh, brought the Games back but squandered all the money that Tiberius saved. And uh, he even, uh, similar to Nero and Commodus, appeared in the arena... Um, he sang and, and uh, he chariot raced. He was he really enjoyed uh, the theater and whatnot and was uh, didn't really act as an emperor should have acted in those situations, uh, which you know. And he also, of course, became a megalomaniac and um, was very anti senatorial. Uh, Claudius, following uh, Caligula, who was killed in 42, Claudius uh, he did the same thing that um, Augustus did in terms of he built, he fed the people and he threw the games. Uh, again, these kind of items to build his... And he even had a huge, uh, a huge naval battle that he threw on a lake um, that was, you know again, just outdoing the next guy or attempting to do so. Uh, Nero, of course, very infamous, loved the games, thought he was a poet, thought he was a singer. Uh, there's a great story in here about the chariot race that he fell off his chariot twice, uh, didn't even make the finish, and of course, if you're the, the judge of that match, you're going to say, well, Nero, you, you you won, you did good. And so he did end up winning that one. Uh, one singing contest, you name it. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. You're doing good. You're doing really good. Um, so after the, f- the great fire of Rome in 64... Uh, there was a lot of different rumors going around that Nero started it so as to begin a new building project etc etc and so he chose the Christians as a, a scapegoat and began a uh, pretty in, intense uh, gruesome uh, display of um, i guess persecution and and, and uh, he would you know torture in grotesque ways that even won sympathy with the, the uh, Uh, I think, was it Tacitus that that said, yeah, said, you know, he feels bad for these Christians. This is really getting ugly. Um, So Nero, uh, post-Nero, after he was forced to commit suicide, um, Vespasian, in 69 to 79, there was a little civil war between there, uh, Nero and Vespasian. Vespasian ended up being, uh, by the Petroleum Guard, was called the emperor. And uh, he was a military man. Uh, Though he was thrifty, he still... Uh, was not like Tiberius. He was involved in, in a certain amount of, of uh, games, including building the Colosseum, starting to build it. It wasn't finished until after his death, but, uh, which brings us into Titus and Domitian's time. Um, 60, yes, yeah, 68 was when uh, Nero died. Then there was that civil war. And then 69, Vespasian uh, left from um, his siege of Jerusalem and headed over to um, Rome, became emperor. And uh, d- uh, after him was Titus, who only lived very shortly, uh, was expected to live longer. Domitian wasn't kind of was expected to be emperor and, and took over after Titus died. Uh, he was w- the first emperor to outlaw private citizens throwing um, uh, the Munera and the Ludi. He said, uh, I will be the only one doing that. Um, you're not going to be throwing these games. I want that power. Um, he was also... Incidentally, worshipped as a god outright, though other uh, emperors were lauded as divine after their death. He said, "Hey, you know, I'm I'm a god now." Um, And then the the chapter kind of ends out with um, the uh, Antonine. What do you pronounce it, Antonine? Antonine. Antonini. I like that better. Antonini emperors. (laughs) Yeah, I like it. That's uh, and so uh, Trajan uh, during the reign of Trajan, Hadrian. Uh, kind of the games hit an all-time high, according to this author. They were at... The, the empire was growing in, in, a, in a lot of ways, uh, and so the games were kind of a manifestation of that. And also a sense of propaganda and a way to show the people, look at all the stuff we have. So you bring back exotic animals, not just to wow the people, but to show them we've been here, we've been there, we've been here, and here are some of the animals. We're now going to mercilessly slaughter and have fight one another. Um, so Hadrian... Uh, and this brings us down, uh, Hadrian, Antonius Pius, uh, Marcus Aurelius, a kind of a consolidation of the empire. Uh, then Commodus comes along, who was the emperor in the gladiator movie, of course. Um, and he, as Nero d- did, loved the games, uh, competed as even a, a, a uh, gladiator with wooden weapons at one point, uh, appeared in the arena, dressed as Hercules. And You'll see, I've seen, I've seen actually a statue of him with Hercules and everything. Uh, so again, it was kind of unbecoming of an emperor at the time. But uh, and so later on, uh, after po- uh, post during the a, during post Constantinian Empire or during the Constantinian Empire, uh, gladiator becoming a gladiator as punishment for a crime was outlawed. So no longer were you sent to go to the ring to fight. You were now sent to go to mines uh, to mine things out and die there or die at sea. Um, and so in three twenty five, that was halted. And then, uh, kind of, the, the chapter ends out by the mid-4th century. There are no records of continuing uh, Munera in the Eastern Empire, uh, but chariot racing remained popular through the Middle Ages. It was very popular up and through there. So, that's, that's my summary. Byzantium. Byzantium, Byzantium yep, during the, Byzantium. Um. So
0: what I'm saying is basically that we have a second Rome. We have many Rome's apparently in history. You know what's the third Rome, for instance? It's Moscow. Because the first Rome is Rome, the second Rome is when the empire splits in two, and so we have another capital of Rome built in uh, in many ways, monumental, etc., as an imitation of Rome, where the other emperor would live, the eastern emperor, which is Byzantium, which is Constantinople, or Istanbul today. Well, this is the second Rome. This tradition of perpetuating the Roman empire in terms of power keeps happening all the time. Have you... The third Rome was thought to be Moscow, because Moscow inherits the Greek Orthodox religion, culture, a little bit literature, and political symbolizations. Um, do you know what's the, where is a, a symbol, a token of the continuity of the Roman Empire? I think I have it in my pocket, but actually I don't, because I have a quarter of uh, Maryland, a quarter of uh, Rhode Island... <laughs> I don't like the quarter of California, by the way, well, there are no movies. But there I have, I should have a quarter. No, this is the quarter of uh, Pennsylvania, obviously. Okay, in the, in the American quarter, what's the symbol, the, the standard one? It's an eagle. Yes, you were going to say an eagle, but you were <laughs> polite and you were raising your hand. Thank you, appreciate <laughs> You know how a mark, a German mark, okay, and now the German euro, 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 e-u-r-o, what's the symbol in there? Easy, said an eagle here, it's an eagle there as well. (laughs) Now, do you know what was the military, not the political, but the military symbol of the Roman Empire? The Fasces is uh, unfortunately a political symbol that has been taken by another regime I am unfortunately ethnically connected with, which is the eh, fascist empire. Fascist empire, it sounds very fascist to say. The fascist regime. Um, The other, the military one, was the eagle on the stick. So there's this eagle flying throughout all history. And if you look at the, the Augsburg, you know, the Habsburgic dynasty of Austria, they were emperors as well. Well, their symbol is a double eagle as well. So there's this idea of a, conti- of a symbolic continuity of Rome in so many ways, in literary fashion and also in political fashion. Um, the continuity of Rome accompanies us until our pockets in our eagle and the German eagle and uh, whatever, and there are so many other things. Uh, also the name of the senate in Washington is senate, obviously, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, this, uh, this is just to say that Rome has to do with us. Constantinople, Byzant- Byzantium, is the second Rome. And the tradition of games continued in Byzantium until the late antiquity. But the eastern uh, um, empire happens not to have fallen. You know, we talk of the fall of the Roman empire, but actually... The Roman Empire didn't ever fall, like be destroyed completely, but just um, had an evolution into single kingdoms, barbaric Roman kingdoms, which continued to pursue many traditions culturally, many habits, and also many political institutions of ancient Rome. The Roman Senate continued until the Renaissance, and even the 18th century, there was a sort of Senate of Rome. It was just ruling on Rome itself, alright? but it continued to be. So we don't have to think that all this finishes at a certain point. The tradition of chariot races, for instance, is so important, it's crucial in the late antiquity in Byzantium. Why? Because uh, the, this big amphitheater, this big circus, I'm sorry, uh, for the r- chariot races was so popular uh, and was the center of the public entertaining life of Byzantium, Constantinople, we call it after Constantinus, that uh, Constantinople would uh, have uh, factions like UCLA and USC, okay, the Bruins and the Trojans, same thing. But they had different names, namely the names of some colors, especially the blue and the green, and also the red, etc. These factions were also political factions. They were politically connotated and fighting a cha- against each other, sometimes in bloody <coughs> um, revolutions, uh, riots. They are an important point factor of the politics of the late of the late empire in Constantinople. And those races keep going until the fall of uh, Constantinople. Where, when does the Byzantine Empire, they used to call themselves Romans by the way, eh? the Roman Empire of the East, when does it fall? Fall, so to speak. 1453, when by the hands of uh, uh, Arab But the big hit to them actually was given before by us, by the Western Christians through the cru- se- third crusade or the second. Second, I guess. Well, the one that actually destroyed Constantinople first, Constantinople's first, and then the Arabs took over the place. So, as you see, in the Middle Ages, so the continuity of all those traditions shouldn't be under. Estimated. Okay. Yeah, thank you, James. <laughs> thank you. Okay. Good. <laughs> now, thank you very much. It was exhaustive, and uh, oh, I'm sorry. Exhaustive means that it has exhausted me. No, in Italian, exhaustive means it covered everything. Um, now, <laughs> <laughs> exhaustive. <laughs> like when I when I was teaching no Latin one last quarter, that we had those weekly meetings and I told uh, Professor Gurval that I was trying to be annoying with the students. I mean, to tease them with continuous quizzes uh, and drilling them, and say, are you really being annoying with them? I know. Yes, of course I yeah. am. I'm trying to. Uh, trying hard. Okay, so, question. Okay, I have uh, had written myself some things uh, to think about, Right now that we know more or less the facts. Have you questions of, to start off the discussion? Have you made the readings? I have a question for you. Did you make the readings, all of you? Sure. You okay. Good. Now, what? For, okay. Whatever question. Whatever you found hard, you want me to expand on, or whatever you found found interesting.
1: Yes, please. Uh, one of the questions that just and it might be relevant, might not be in terms of what. Um, these games show us about the values of the Roman Empire, especially the values of manhood. Mm-hmm. Could you elab- could you elaborate on that? As far as what would they see an ideal Roman man being uh, in terms of his values, what he does? So sure, sure. Um,
0: have you have you read? Uh, I, I will answer to this question, asking for you to answer with another question. But okay, I, I will I will do my job. I mean, I'm paid for this, but. <laughs> um, and I know the answer. Huh? I know everything. Don't worry. I'm not that I. I oh my gosh! Oh. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Say, what? How would you? Uh, okay, we had these three big things that that happened during the Ludi and the Munera: chariot races, athletics, theater. So chariot races and athletics, theater, and the gladiatorial games. What of those? Which one of those are more Greek, and which ones are more Roman? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so athletics are more Greek for sure. Yeah. Theater, theater is Greek. definitely Greek. You were saying theater definitely is imported from Greece. Not actually not completely because it was also imported from the Etruscan society. But we tend to think of the Etruscan society as a sort of counterpart to Greece. Actually, the ancient world is interconnected much more than we can think. And the Etruscans learned a lot from the Greeks. First of all, they're Alphabet. No? And uh, part of their, philosoph- of their religious philosophy also comes from a sort of pan Italian influence which is called Pythagorism, and this, ha- this enters Rome as well. Okay, so these distinctions don't make much sense, but definitely athletics and theater are Greek. Chariot races, how would you, would, would you say? Are they Greek or Romans? Greek for sure, because they used to happen in in Greece as well. They belong to the athletics world. But also, definitely Roman, because they're one of the oldest games held in Rome, and probably also of Etruscan Etruscan origin. Um, When I say what is Roman, I'm saying that it probably comes from an indigenous origin, being more connected with the, the Italic populations and the Etruscans. As I'm saying, this distinction doesn't make much sense, but it tells, some, tells us something. What is definitely Roman and doesn't have to do with the Greek influence—the gladiatorial games. So we could generalize, saying that the Roman, the, the Roman values, but I would really to put into, into quotes, the Roman values conveyed by gladiatorial games are this martial approach. To life and to society and to politics. Uh, The the conquest, uh, manlihood, and um, imperialism were a crucial part of the Roman political and, uh, I would say, moral system. Uh, The Roman society is a complex entity, coming from, uh, taken from different uh, um, cultural sources to build up its mixed-up identity. We don't have to think of Rome as a monolithic thing. Rome was a diverse society just because it it took over the whole known Western world. Um, But the main cultural influence in Rome from the very beginning, the other civilization from which they draw so much consciously, was what? Greece, definitely. When does the Greek cultural influence start to affect affect Rome so clearly? In southern Italy, very good answer, in my opinion, and? Yes, the conquest of? Mummius and Aemilius. So the conquest of Greece itself, basically, starting with the pirates. These are the highlights, but my question was a sort of tricky one. Well, okay, what alphabets? Do you, how many of yours did ever take leading one? Ah, good portion. What al- but this is a question that anybody can answer. What answer did the Latins use? The Romans use? What alphabet? Yes. What, what's the letter for... The graphical letter for A? A. What's the graphical letter for B? So, you know, not really necessarily you haven't taken Latin 1. What's the Greek letter for A? Uh, okay. Ah, you took Greek 1, did you? <laughs> no, not really. And what's the one for B? Beta, Beta. Okay? C is interesting. Latin C comes from gamma, which used to be written that way, and so was rounded later, just because uh, of an Etruscan thing. But I won't expand on this. He knows it because it's a Latin one with me. But I won't expand with this. Basically, the influence, as far as we have trac- traces of a written Latin language in inscription, in vases, etc., they are written with Latin- the Greek alphabet. This, cell- this is a very simple and evident fact that tells us how deep and how ancient, back to the 7th century before Christ, back to the 6th century before Christ, back to when we talk of Rome, whenever we talk of Rome, there has been a Greek influence. If you you have in your mind the map of Italy, which I'm so good at drawing that I will draw it. No, this was really too bad even for me. Okay, let's... Oh my gosh. (laughs) Okay, Northern Italy, Central Italy... Calabria and Puglia. And this is where I come from. <laughs> okay, also Sardinia. <laughs> Not really, it was, uh, it was Phoenician. Past, um, <laughs> okay, if Rome is here, where are the Greeks? Where is Greece? You think that Greece is here, but where are the Greeks? KS. They arrive here. Because Naples, you know, Naples is just... Naples is two hours uh, with your car, um, the, the highway, Rome, Naples, Is one of the decent highways in Italy, as you probably know, and uh, has almost as many lanes as an American highway, but almost. And uh, it's uh, two hours, one hour and a half if you run with the car. So basically, Naples was Greek, was Greece, from the culturally Greek. So it's obvious that Rome took from Greece from very archaic times. Now, okay, we've been saying that this major influence comes from Greece. Since Greece was the counterpart of the Roman identity from the very beginning, The Romans tended to conceive and to build up their own national identity in a way, in a contrastive way. In order to build up your own identity, you need to have a foreigner, someone else, to build upon. We are us because we are not them. Um, We are pretty much Romans because we are not Greek. But just because we are Greek, in the, in the sense, in that, Greece is, in, in, is influencing us so much that this creates a reaction in us, you know, wanting, wanting to build up culturally, symbolically, and identity. From this point of view, we have in the ancient authors many reflections about what is Roman and what is Greek. So the conservatives, you know, I've been speaking with uh, the... With, uh, an American friend of mine, who's conservative, politically conservative, he's very much concerned about the American identity and the American values. One of the ways he had to describe his be- him being American is to oppose America to Europe culturally. We are about individual freedom. Our state does not uh, intrude too much in uh, the, the, the individual's business as lo- as much as it happens in Europe. Um, in uh, if during the Cold War, Rome would describe uh, Rome, the United States were describing themselves in, co- were construing their identity in terms of cultural alterity with the communist world. So about around the idea of liberty. Now, since Rome imports its culture com- almost completely, like literature, theater, art, visual arts, um, political ideas, philosophy, in part also the religion from Greece, which was such an advanced civilization they built their own identity in a very problematic way. One of the ways to build it was that from the beginning they thought of themselves as the warrior civilization. Like they used to think that... You know who's Romulus, no? (coughs) He has two names, Romulus and Quirinus. Quirinal, Quirinus, Quirinal is a hill of Rome. Quirinus is his name as a divinity. Romulus is his name like a historical character. Taking his name from Rome, and in the in the myth giving the name of Rome, so he's the mythical founder, god-human, god-like figure, founder of Rome. Now Quirinus is said to be son of one god, Mars, and he himself actually was archaically a divinity with the name of Quirinus, being a martial um, god, namely the, the king. I'm um, sorry, the god of warfare. So, in other words, what I'm saying is that within the system of uh, the the, the public entertainment in Rome, the Romans themselves used to draw a line, to draw a line uh, between what was Roman and what was was Greek. That is basically theater and athletics are Greek, and um, gladiatorial games are Roman. But this this line comes, this distinction comes from history. Actually, the gladiatorial games came from the Etruscan word and athletes came from Greece. But what I want to stress here is that they were tr- fully aware of this. Th- the ancient sources were fully aware of this. They were stressing out this element, not because this was this was history. We can't help, but because of a conscious cultural construction of identity, they built up their identity in terms of martial culture as opposed to the raffinates to the. Uh, elegant uh, but uh, not so eff- um, not so uh, effective culture in terms of warfare and power, which was Greece, and they would identify themselves more with the gladiatorial games. From this point of view, this is something that I'm saying in an abstract way. But we should I d- we should um, analyze some sources to, to find out how they conceive themselves. But we don't. We will ha- we will try to do it when we see the sources. I actually sort of went around your question. Well, obviously, I'm talking of manlihood and of warrior virtues. And I'm saying how crucial they are in the Roman history and how they identified, they defined their own identities while they were going just to have fun at the, at the Ludi or the Munera. This is what I'm saying. And this takes me to another thing that I wanted to stress pretty much, but I won't do it. I will ask for your questions again. Yes, please.
1: And, and is seen in trying to fight
0: the war, or is seen trying to do that sort of
1: thing, why is it that they didn't want to have their leader
0: in action? They didn't want to have? Like, why did they not want their leader to be in action on, on fields or in games? Wait, or the one, the action? ruler. Yeah, the ruler. Like, for
1: example,
0: the, emperor. the emperor. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, this is an interesting question. But first of all, we should, in the next chapter, we will see that gladiators used to be slaves because of obvious reasons, okay? They were... To be sacrificed. I guess that this sh- could be connected with uh, one of the possible origins of the gladiatorial games being the bloodshed. You said it very well. That shedding shedding once a human's blood is connecting the our world with the underworld, the dead with the, li- with the living. And so, if they are originally victims and people symbolically to be put to death, obviously they have to belong to the prisoners, for instance. Have you seen this movie? Uh, Mel Gibson's last movie, last movie? Apocalyptic. Apoc- apocalypto-, apocalypto, we say in Italian, so apocalypto, yeah. Where, obviously, there are, there are slaves and prisoners of war that are put to death. This is one explanation. I would, I would put it in a very simple way, actually. Since they're going to die, they're going to be slaves, they're going to be people. It's not a job that a person would like to do, if we're talking about, about gladiatorial games. Although, you're right, having a ruler... Who's displaying his martial arts, his power is something that, in many societies, also in the Middle Ages, is displayed. Is a show of the power, of the physical power of the emperor. Is a virtue that the emperor should possess. But he would. The, the Romans were were um, asking the emperor to be a warrior in the real sense. That is, to go to war, to be the commander-in-chief of the army, which he actually was. Um, from, a certain point of, uh, from, from a certain point on, the, all the triumphs to be made in Rome were officially triumphs of the emperor. emperor. Whatever um, general would win in Germany or wherever, it's the emperor who takes the glory and the emperor who actually gives and celebrates his triumph. So, from this point of view. From this, uh, the other points of view, which is uh, why he's, he's not acting in the scene, and and why he's not even competing as an athlete. This has, in my opinion, another more complex explanation, which goes back to this thing that I have in my head, so I have to say. The, The history of the gladiatorial games, the history of the interaction between emperor and games, is the history of the Roman Empire. So how Rome turns from a republic, a free republic, from their point of view, whatever that means, into an empire. Into an empire. Um, a part at least of the games, especially theater and athletics, were connected with the Greek tradition. Now, what does the Greek tradition mean in Rome, in political terms? In other words, what's the conception of state of the Greeks as opposed to that of the Romans? You know, there's these Alpha Gamma He fraternities, and I've read in a, in a flyer, Go Greek, you know, Go Greek, meaning, in America, Go Greek means go into the fraternities, no the sororities. No, Go Greek, uh, go sororities. When I read it, I was like, Go Greek, what the hell it means? <laughs> go Greek, Greek one, no? And I, 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 I swear, it's really what happened. Then I understood that Go Greek means Greek Alpha Gamma, etc. Now, what does it mean to be Greek politically in Rome? Please. Mm-hmm. Culturally, this is the thing. Culturally, this is the thing. There is um, a Plautus, Plautus P-L-A-U-T-U-S. The, uh, the um, comedy writers of the Republic, like, 3rd century before Christ. Well, actually, 3rd, 2nd, 2nd century before Christ. Um, he s- uses a verb, which is interesting. Per graecari, To go Greek, more or less. To go too much Greek. Meaning, that one goes party, alright. You know, excessively partying. Party, the party. Uh, drinking or whatever. Actually, pericari means to have uh, feasts, uh, to live a life which is not the life of a, you know, a serious guy who has officia, so public uh, charges, uh, etc. This is culturally, but politically. This is the idea. We do, t- we do have the Greeks. Because we know that the, re- the democracy, in our sense, was invented by the Greeks. Which is an idea that could be put into doubt, obviously. Because how about the women? How about slaves? How about non-Greek people? But, alright, this is our idea of the Greeks. Thank you for saying it. Because, obviously, this is the first time thing that comes up to your mind. Politically, Greece equals democracy. Elections, magistrates, liberty. This is what, how the Greeks would conceive themselves. Would build, de- would build their own political Sorry, cultural identity. We are the guys of liberty, like the Americans. America is about liberty. I guess that in the quarter, there is the word liberty written down somewhere. It is. Uh-huh. Also, in the new and, in the, last, and in, the, in the old one. This is what America is about. Okay? But in the period we are talking about, in the, during the Roman Republic and uh, during the Roman Empire, what was the political situation of Greece? of the Greek word. Kingdoms. You know Alexander the Great. Okay, this is, this is not a class of movies, but you saw the movie Alexander, where Angelina Jolie speaks with this foreign accent that I understand, understand perfectly. Is, she, is, is that her accent? She's faking it, like me. I'm, I don't have this accent. I have a British accent, which is almost perfect, but I'm trying to fake an Italian accent to be... Interesting. Yes, so, Alexander the Great basically takes over the Eastern world. Takes over Greece, uh, conquers the the free city-states, and conquers pretty much all the continental Greece, and conquers the Eastern Empire of the Persians. You've seen the movie 300. Now, here it goes the other way around. Alexander conquers the Persian Empire, conquers Mesopotamia, which has always been a hard thing to do, but he kind of does it. But he gets into trouble as well because uh, he becomes too Oriental when he conquers the Eastern empires and uh, and uh, Egypt. Something cultural happens. Now you've seen 300. Okay, 300 is a re elaboration of how the Greeks would conceive themselves. Co- what's the polarity? The cultural polar- polarity between. Greeks and Persians in the movie 300, if you saw it. Or in ancient Greece. The
1: Greeks are manly and strong. They've got lots of figurine muscles. And
0: the Persians are <laughs> wearing purple and they have piercing blue in the girls. Yeah, the are very girly. But the interesting thing, which is, is uh, um, embodied in Xerxes, is... Like, versus, barbarians. versus barbarians, sure. All this is true. and the Persians are usually shown to be Also, Also, we are humans. The others are non-humans. This is very common in cultural self... Uh, um, in, the bi- in the building of one's identity. We are the humans, the others, maybe. Uh, Aristotle would deba- was debating... Aristotle, the Greek philosopher, was debating whether the barbarians had a soul. And the, mm, we... Okay, we, I mean... <laughs> I'm Italian, so I truly belong to this shameful history, in a way. We, the European... Uh, the gui- we, who are guilty for the biggest uh, genocide of history which is obviously not the one of the Jews unfortunately for, for us all but I guess okay this is my opinion that um, Native American genocide there have been heard si- si- numbers like 30 millions of deaths this is historically problematic but we are surely kind of responsible kind of responsible somehow for the death of these 30 million Native Americans in North and Southern America okay in this moment, when, basically, with the so-called uh, discovery of the Americas, there was a debate in, in Europe about the Native Americans having a soul, about their, state, their status as uh, human beings, etc. Their chances to be saved, from a very interrealistic point of view, there's only one religion, so are they, how do we manage to save them, etc. Okay, So, human versus not human. Let's sum up, because I'm verbose. Girly versus manly, definitely, the Greeks are girly. And uh, you are saying, the, civilized versus barbarian, and even human uh, a, a against monsters. Human versus non-human. But there is another thing that they stress very much. Okay. Yes, which is civilization versus, somebody here was saying, liberty versus slavery. They, the, 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 the Persian Empire has one ruler who is girly in a way. But he has also this strange voice, he's this strange mixture of all those things which are not rational, they're just a cultural invention. This, the, the, this is the Greek self-representation. We are free, we are manly as well, and, uh, and we are rational, and we are fully human, we develop our human potential, the barbarians are not. Now, when Alexander the Great conquers the East, the Persian Empire, he is, according to Greek-Roman sources, polluted by the germ of uh, tyranny. He becomes an oriental king, meaning that he rules as a monocrat, in, in a monocracy, so one person rules. He also takes over an Eastern tradition, which is the king, the, the, the emperor, is godly, is divine. Right? All these Eastern traditions mi- migrate towards west with Alexander the Great, the Great, and what happens is that from the 4th century, 3rd century on, in Greece and in the eastern Mediterranean, we have kingdoms with kings who are oriental rulers. Okay? This is the first migration westwards of tyranny. The second migration happens when? Of this eastern tyranny towards the western civilization. What's the next culture that was a republic and then becomes a kingdom, basically? It's, a, it's Rome. If you we, if we look at this in, the, in those terms, what happens is that Rome used to be a republic and then one person takes over the power. He never, ever calls himself king. There was no emperor in Roman history until the Middle Ages who would call himself king. Why?
1: That
0: they're living by. Exactly. How can they possibly live within this myth and shun the word king when they have an emperor? This is just weird. But this, these are the miracles of culture, of cultural elaborations. Well, like the, first the first among equals, prim caps Primus, no, first, prim caps Caput, uh, no, actually, Caps comes from Capio, the one that takes the first seats, right? Like the president, presidents, the one who sits in front of the others, but is not the king. So the Romans take over slowly this uh, oriental culture of uh, uh, absolute power, absolute monarchic power, but in a very problematic way. Because because they were coming from a long tradition of liberty whether or not we can call it actually a republic, a democracy, or liberty, it's a complex question. But what I'm talking about is that they used to conceive themselves as free, as a republic. And then it's very problematic to (coughs) change this Roman free word into a Greek oriental monarchy. Well, there are some figures who try to do it. Some emperors who push the process forward, towards an image of oriental, Greek, Hellenistic uh, Monarchy. Who are those emperors? Nero is the most famous one, but backwards we had others. Augustus now. Augustus is the one who succeeds in introducing actually monarchy because he says he's not. He's cunning. He says I'm restoring the Roman Republic, but actually he does what Caesar couldn't do. The first one is probably Caesar Julius Caesar who had tried to present himself as a, a in a very sharp way as the, as the only ruler of Rome, in a way which was not prudent enough, and actually you, we know how he died, Wh- while uh, Augustus presented himself as the restorer of Republic. So this process goes on figu- um, with the alternance of, uh, of emperors who are like Augustus, prudent, or are like Nero, that is, trying to push forward the process. We, ha- we have seen that some people like Dio, um, D- Domitianus, Commodus, Caligula first, Elagabalus later also. But Elagabalus comes so late that sort of already the times were ready. What I'm saying is that some emperors acted and uh, played as as, uh, charioteers. Who are they? Elagabalus later, but definitely before Commodus. Nero, above all. Nero is the symbol, but also, as we said, Caligula, all right? Now, I don't know if the discourse that I'm trying to do is coherent, but we have this situation. Rome is taking over the Greek culture. He's taking over Greek elements in all fields, including entertainment, but also politically. And look what a combination, just strangely enough, the emperors who are go-Greek, Politically, the ones who push forward the process of the evolution of the Roman state towards an, a Hellenistic monarchy are the same that in entertaining, in entertainment betray the Roman tradition and become so involved into the ludi, into the spectacles, to act, to act as gladiators or to run as charioteers. This is very interesting and I leave it to your reflection for the last, for next time. Are these emperors loved from the historians of Rome? What's their fame? Infamous, you say the infamous Nero I wrote it down. Nero was nuts, obviously, wasn't he? Are we sure? Caligula was completely nuts. He made his horse a senator. He's a symbolic but was he actually so nuts. Who wrote history? The senators, the senators, the nobles who were opposing this process. Okay, thank you. Oh, who's the volunteer for next time? Thank you. Uh, We have uh, two readings for next time, don't we? Uh, You are one of the... Can we have another volunteer? Okay, thank you. Uh, Which one do you want? Okay, you make the first reading being... Okay, I don't remember. Let me... Let me check it out. You make... uh, No, there's only one reading, actually. The politics of the arena, foot roll. So, okay. You take next one. Okay. Thank you. Sure. Let me shout this out in order to end high of.